Bob Sewell. I'm a lawyer. In fact, I'm a partner at the law firm of Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. I started this podcast because my clients always ask me, is that even legal? I want to discuss on this podcast how the law affects us and changes our daily lives. I hope you enjoy the show. I hope it is meaningful to you and I hope you learn from it. Thank you. Today's guest in the podcast is Ike Devsey. Ike is a personal friend of mine. He's also nationally known as an asset protection attorney. And that's really important here for the reason that what we're going to talk about today on the podcast. Ike represents people uh, that are business owners, real estate investors, physicians, entrepreneurs. He has extensive experience both domestically, setting up domestic trusts, setting up domestic asset protection, as well as offshore asset protection strategies. And his personal uh, portfolio of people he protects is well over $5 billion, and he is definitely the the biggest expert, the best person I know in the realm of asset protection. Now, why I wanted to have you on, Ike, first of all, welcome to the show, Ike. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's good to be with you, Bob. You know, why I wanted to have Ike on is because of some recent news, something called the Pandora Papers. And it really what the Pandora Papers is, is it's a leak of people who have used offshore uh, offshore asset protection. And I, I don't know if it's even if you want to call it asset protection, but offshore accounts uh, and strategies to try to secret money. And, you know, this is not new. We've had other leaks. Uh, Paradise Papers was in 2017. Panama Papers was in 2016. Uh, something called offshore leaks was in 2013, and it's basically these some some people have been hacking law firms to find the rich and the famous assets and how they're hiding them. You know, on the list of this Pandora Papers, Vladimir Putin of President of Russia, King Abdullah of Jordan, Tony Blair, former UK Prime Minister. Imran Khan, Prime Minister of Pakistan, um, it, just the, the president of Montenegro, the president of Chile, the prime minister of the Czech Republic, uh, celebrities like Elton John, Ringo Starr, Shakira. Shakira was a big surprise for me. Jackie Chan, Bono, they're alleged to all have accounts uh, with these uh, different offshore companies. So... Is that even legal? Can I do this, Ike? Absolutely. And if we're talking about from the perspective of Americans, who you and I deal with as clients primarily, um, Americans have an absolute right to use offshore tools. And in fact, it's estimated that tens of millions of Americans have offshore accounts and offshore property. But there are a couple of basic caveats we always have to remember, Bob. Okay. One is that you have to report the fact that you have these accounts and pay your taxes on any growth or income that comes into them. And if you're using them for asset protection, they have to be set up and funded 
before there's a crisis, just like with anything we do domestically. Okay, well, now hold, now hold on for a second. Um, what do you mean funded before there's a crisis? Well, one of the big mistakes that we see people make over and over when using offshore tools is that they try and move money to an offshore trust or offshore bank account after they have already incurred a liability, mm. and that is fraud, right? The same as it is in the United States. For instance, you and I both work in the in the trust and estate planning realm to some degree in, in different ways, and yeah. we know that when somebody has a lawsuit or a claim or has incurred a liability which should reasonably cause them to expect a claim, that any transfer they make away from themselves is considered a fraudulent conveyance, which makes it a voidable transaction, which yeah. is a fancy legal way to say you're moving money away from yourself to evade a creditor when you don't have a legal right to do it after something bad happened. So we can plan against the entire world under blue skies and anything that might happen in the future, but we can never plan against one specific person who already has a claim. Now, Ike, let me let me back up a little bit further. Um, try to get even more basic. There's legitimate reasons to asset protect and have offshore offshore trusts and offshore accounts, and there's some illegitimate reasons to have uh, offshore accounts and asset protect. And you talked about one of the illegitimate reasons to to not to 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 offshore your money, and that is you know that there's a claim against you and you take your money and you hide it, right? That's not legitimate. That's fraudulent transfer. What are some of the other no-nos that you get asked? Hey, I want, hey, Ike, why don't you help me and do X? And it's, it's no, don't do that. You're not asset protecting. You're not offshoring your money for that reason. Sure. So you, there, as you said, there's there's a list of good reasons and there's a list of bad reasons, Bob. Let's start with some of the bad ones. So as we said, fraudulent conveyance, evading a current pre-existing liability. Let's put that as number one. Right. Evading taxes as a U.S. taxpayer, number two, right? We've used offshore tools with thousands of clients for closing on 20 years, and none of them have ever, ever had an issue with the IRS because every single one of those is fully reported and disclosed and tax compliant in the way that we're informing the US government of the existence of the account. So that's that's another second one is tax evasion. Uh, another common one and a request that I've had myself many years from different people uh, for many years is to deprive a spouse of their current interest in marital property. Mm -hmm. I routinely get calls from people who say, I'm going to get divorced. I want you to take this money and move it offshore so that my wife can never get it. And what we say to them is that is theft and fraud, and we're not going to help you do that. And oh, by the way, half of that is probably already hers. And when she's done with you, you are welcome to bring me what is left so we can make sure this never happens again, but we're not going to help you defraud your spouse. Um, the other thing, obviously, that people shouldn't do or, or that people use this for, this kind of planning for illicitly when they're not working with good planners, is to hide the proceeds 
of some illegitimate enterprise, a crime. It could be criminal um, or it could be something embarrassing, right? Maybe somebody who's in a very public position has an interest in a business that is illegitimate or embarrassing or, and embarrassing is, is I guess, still legal, but there, there are things, criminal activities that people sometimes engage in and they hide the proceeds because they can't account for that income legitimately in their taxes, right? How are you going to say, for instance, that I made, uh, you know, $10 million smuggling whatever opioids, right? You can't put that on your taxes. So bad actors, which are a minority here, let's not get carried away with the over sensationalization of this, but bad actors do use good planning for bad things. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I can buy that. Let me ask you, give me some good reasons to then offshore asset protect, because you're taking away all the really good reasons like money laundering. (laughs) No, you don't. It sounds like you're taking all the fun off of uh, offshoring my money. It sounds like it, right? Are there some good reasons? I, you know, you, you hit on something important there, Bob. When people yeah. think about offshore planning, they often think that it's very exotic. What they picture right. is private jets with guys of briefcases full of cash being served martinis by girls in bikinis <laughs> fly into some offshore, you know, haven with white sand and blue water. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, the work that we do is way more like E.F. Hutton than it is like James Bond, meaning that it's a lot of compliance. It's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of tax reporting, which is why it works and it's legitimate and ethical. So, Bob, you asked a great question, which are what are some of the good legitimate reasons that we use offshore planning? And uh, there are many of them. So we'll start with some of the basics. So one is privacy as opposed to secrecy. And you and I both understand that there is no such thing as secret in the law. So let's, let's address this issue right up front where people who think something is secret are relying on the emperor's new clothes of hiding something, hoping no one will ever find it or ask you about it and being willing to commit perjury if somebody does ask you about it, right? In a debtor's exam, in an interrogatory, uh, in a deposition, right? You, you're either going to admit that you have these accounts and these assets if you're asked, or you're going to lie about it and perhaps commit an additional crime, the crime of perjury. So privacy is a real thing, and the tactical value of privacy is simply looking smaller than you perhaps actually are. Secrecy does not exist, but privacy is a definite legitimate benefit. Another definite and legitimate benefit is investment diversification. There are many folks who want to diversify what they are holding, how they are holding. They want to be able to invest in foreign stock markets, which maybe they can't do directly due to the citizenship of their country. They want to be able to diversify what they're holding between different banking systems. Um, They want to avail of the asset protection benefits uh, of being in a foreign jurisdiction that is outside the reach of the U.S. court system. They want to use it for estate planning. Maybe they want to make a transfer, a completed gift to a trust in a jurisdiction that is treated favorably for estate tax purposes. Maybe they have family 
property or business in a foreign country, right? We we need to remember that lots of us have come to this great country from other places where we still have roots, family, connections, and we may have a business there. We may own a rental property in another country. All of those are pretty basic everyday reasons to have a bank account outside the United States. Um, you know, but the one thing that we should never use this for is tax evasion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, that, that, that is uh, everything you said rings so true. Um, it, whenever I hear people say, well, I'm going to not not pay my taxes, I'm going to get this foreign <laughs> trust. Uh, you know, I I always just say, I, I hope you do OK, because. I mean, you and I both know people for attorneys who flew too close to the sun and tried to convince people this that was a good idea. And and those attorneys, um, you and I both know them and uh, know attorneys like this, and they they're in jail. And um, and and people who followed them could be in jail, too. I don't know. But it's serious business. You don't do it. And I do, and I do think, you know, privacy is huge. Um, you know, in my former life, I did I did a fair bit. You know, during the downturn, we all did what we had to do to survive. Um, but during that period, um, in the in the Great Recession, I, I had my hand on a little bit of uh, collections work. Well, what's the first thing you do? You start to search where these people, you know, where these people are and the assets they have. And if you come up with buckus, right? If you don't come up with anything, if you don't see, you know, see things that would indicate that they have stuff I could go get, you're you're not really going to push these things. I mean, is is that what is that what we're looking at? Well, I mean, look at its essence. Asset protection planning is about separating assets from personal and professional liability when you have a legal right to do so using the right tools, right? So we might set up an LLC for somebody who's starting a business or to hold a rental property, right? We might set up a trust to transfer uh, assets to a family member or to our heirs in the future in a predictable and legal way. And when we set any of those things up as attorneys, we look at where should we do that? How should we do it? What should the language of that instrument be of that legal document in terms of how it's drafted? And we also look at jurisdictional choices, right? We have, for instance, those right within the United States where we have certain jurisdictions for certain kinds of trusts that are more favorable than others. Asset protection planners that use offshore tools just reach a little farther to find the same benefits for their clients in a way that's completely legitimate. So for instance, if I told you that a South Dakota trust had better asset protection than one in another state, and maybe if we're doing a domestic plan, we should do that, that would make sense. And by the same token, if I said, hey, if we wanted to go even stronger than and more predictable in South Dakota, we have an option outside the United States where we could put this trust. That would also make sense, 
right? right? So this is just a question of people who understand what they're doing using the most effective tool available to meet their client's purpose. Okay, I like what I hear, I'm hearing, Ike. I mean, and I want to ask you more about how what you're saying applies to the Pandora Papers and whether or not these people actually even did anything wrong. But before I get to that, I need to have a word from our sponsor, DocuPlayer. Folks, the entire purpose of this podcast is to make the law more understandable. We break it down. We sort it out. We get rid of the legalese. There's a product out there that helps lawyers do this for their clients. It's called DocuPlayer. And what it does, it is allows a lawyer to explain a document on a video. You could highlight the document. You could point specific things out to the client. You could explain the document as you go to the client. Clients love it. They understand the document better and they get to go through the document with the lawyer as many times as they want just by hitting rewind. If you're a lawyer, check out the product at docuplayer.com. If you're a client, insist upon using it. So Ike, here's, if we go back to Pandora papers and we read these, these newspaper articles and we see what's on television and man, it sounds fantastic, right? I mean, they put it out there. It's so salacious. Elton John has an offshore account. Therefore, he's evaded his taxes. Uh, therefore, you know, therefore, you know, you know, whatever it is, you know, this celebrity, this political figure is a bad actor. Is is that really, can I really conclude that just because they've offshore? No, no, absolutely not. As we said, there are tens of millions of Americans who use these tools um, in a legal and ethical way every day. And there are many more people outside the U.S. and the other countries, including some of the countries where the folks that you are alluding to live, where they are citizens and taxpayers, um, who have these accounts as well. In fact, you know, half of half of Europe uh, and the EU uses a couple of very specific jurisdictions for their pension funds. And they have those pension investments outside the country where they actually live. So merely having an offshore account is not as unusual or sexy or illicit as these sensational items in the news make it sound. It could be the guy down the street from you who's a real estate developer who's got one, could be the guy who's your uh, your cancer surgeon who's got one. I mean, th- this is not this is not as exotic as people think. Yeah, if um, I'm going to buy an apartment complex uh, outside the country because it looks like a really good investment, and and they need investors, we have people that do that all the time. And you know, people other countries they come, they buy real estate. You know that that if I'm doing that, I'm going to have an offshore account. Someone's got to receive the funds that I make as it goes. It, it, that makes sense to me. But, the, but these guys should worry if what? Well, well, let's talk about, I mean, going back a little bit to your question, what did the people who are in this story do wrong? First of all, not everybody who's going to be exposed in the Pandora Papers did anything wrong, right? So it is not that this is just a list of people who are engaged in criminal activity. Um, some of them certainly 
maybe. Uh, but a whole bunch of them probably are not, right? They've earned their money in very legitimate ways. Now, what happens to make something legitimate and reasonable and intelligent, criminal and stupid? <laughs> well, some of them, some of the folks um, are using these accounts to hide the proceeds of crimes, corruption, bribes, self-dealing, right? We've got a whole yeah. bunch of political figures there who don't have the means based on their previous personal net worth or their government salary to have $80 million worth of real estate in Malibu, as one right. specific example <laughs> yeah. from the recent reports, right? How does, you know, how does this dog catcher from this foreign country have $30 million? Well, um, yeah. right, he's doing something else. And he's doing something that he doesn't or she doesn't want to talk about and isn't reporting to their to their taxing authority, wherever that may be. So, you know, in some cases, some people are using some people who've been exposed in the Pandora Papers are using their accounts and this system to hide the proceeds of criminal or illicit activities. In other cases, which is even worse because it's needless and pointless, they turned otherwise legitimate assets into a crime by being stupid and greedy and not wanting to pay taxes on it. Tell me about that. Well, you can, you know, we can earn, we can earn money legitimately, move it someplace where it continues to grow and earn income or is invested. And then we have a tax obligation on that growth, right? If right. we don't report the account and pay the taxes, we turned legally earned money in a legitimate holding structure into a crime by simply not filling out a tax return, whether it's in the United States or in some other country that has a similar burden. So some of them worked, uh, some of them used it for tax evasion. Some of them worked with unscrupulous advisors, including non-attorney promoters, lawyers, banks, trust companies that don't do things legitimately and don't have the same due diligence standards and don't do the, the right things to keep people out. For instance, when I have a client that I place with an offshore trust company that we use, that client has to fill out a 14-page know your client disclosure form with all kinds of details. They have to provide a, a W-9. They have to do all kinds of formalities that allows the other parties that we are dealing with to understand who this person is, where their money came from, what assets they have, um, and a whole bunch of other details. And they do background checks on these folks to make sure that they are not involved in facilitating a crime to the greatest degree possible. Even the documents that we use include affidavits of accuracy and solvency. So when you sign some of the paperwork that we use, you are saying, I do hereby under, you know, uh, say uh, in a, on a notarized document that I've disclosed any outstanding debt or liability or lawsuits um, and that the other information I have provided is accurate. Uh, they relied again on hiding assets and the myth of secrecy, uh, as we've discussed previously, 
in a way that isn't going to protect them. So some of these people were doing bad things, and some of them earned money legitimately and turned it into a crime by using these tools the wrong way. Does that make sense the way I'm saying that? No, it totally makes sense. I mean, uh, it's the person who plans in advance, the person who reports their their tax, their income legitimately, that person doesn't have a worry. If there's a Pandora, Pandora papers and your system is hacked, and not yours personally, but a system is hacked and you're exposed, it's for the person who's doing it right, it really isn't going to affect them much. I mean, I, it, I mean, they, they will have certainly the the embarrassment and frustration of, you know, of having their their personal information out there. No one wants their personal information out there. But it's not like they're going to be hit with lawsuits and criminal sanctions. It's it's going to be dealing with fielding questions from the press, whatever. But exactly. I, those those folks have nothing to apologize for. So one of the things that happened in the reporting they discussed was, well, you know what, Ike, the, you know, you know what, guys, the, the reason why we don't see a lot of Americans is because the U.S. is a tax haven. And they say this one, they say it's like a bad thing. I don't know. If, I don't know if being a tax haven is really a bad thing. Uh, having a fair tax system is probably a good thing. But I mean, but let's but they go back to it. Well, the reason why this is bad is U.S. is a tax haven. So go ahead and uh, comment on that, Ike. I mean, it, are we a tax haven? Are we, we bad should. actors? We Yes, I mean, absolutely. Look, there, we are a tax haven for foreign money the same way that some Americans use various offshore jurisdictions all the old cliche ones in the in the Caribbean, for instance, um, the same way that people in the United States abuse foreign jurisdictions for tax evasion, foreigners bring money into the United States for the same reasons, right? And yeah. we um, have very strict reporting standards and guidelines for Americans who have offshore bank accounts and what those for what some of those banks and financial institutions in foreign jurisdictions are supposed to report back to the U.S. But we in the U.S. do not have the same stringent standards, at least not to the same level in some cases, on reporting U.S. accounts to foreign governments, right? So we are stricter with our people than we are with outsiders bringing money in. And should that look, change? Should that change? You know, um, I think that to the degree changes can be made to prevent foreign criminals from using the United States to protect themselves from the reach of justice or their government, I think there probably are some reasonable changes or safeguards that can be made. Should the United States move to a system um, where we have to have a compliance officer in every law firm and CPA firm that has to do the same level of background checks that the banking system has? Um, no, I don't. I don't think that's reasonable. I think it's detrimental 
to the U.S. economy. I think it's detrimental to the U.S. being a favorable spot for banking and investments. So Mm -hmm. I think that there is a happy medium uh, somewhere where there is always room for improvement, but I don't think we need to go as far as some pending legislation might be suggesting. Well, one of the things that um, I heard uh, during this reporting was they said states like South Dakota, South Dakota's bad, South Dakota's (laughs) secret, you know, tell me about that. Look, South Dakota is one of a number of states in the United States that has domestic asset protection trust statutes. And those states have various degrees of tax advantages, secrecy, or privacy, asset protection, things that they are that they market based on their statutes, and things that the attorneys and non-attorney promoters and banks and trust companies and the whole industry that's involved uh, necessarily in making these things happen um, promote. South Dakota's offshore assets have quadrupled in the last decade to over $360 billion of foreign wealth is estimated to be held in that one state as one specific example. Does that mean that every single one of those accounts is owned by Manuel Noriega or some some equivalent (laughs) of that who's smuggling children and guns? Of Mm. course it doesn't, right? There are lots of people that look to the United States um, as being more politically and economically stable than the country that they are in. And this is a risk management issue for them, just as it is for my clients who have some of the exact same concerns about social, political, and economic instability, about creditor protection, about privacy, about all of these different things that we've talked about that are good and legitimate reasons. We're moving money out. Other folks are moving money in. And the end goal is the same. It's to move to a jurisdiction that you feel is the most predictable. Um, Are there bad actors that have money in the United States? Of course there are. And some of those folks have been exposed in this leak or in the previous ones that you named, um, and others will be exposed in the future. And you know what's interesting, Bob, is you named four different events that parallel the Pandora Papers, right? You went Panama Papers, offshore leak, Mm -hmm. um, so on and so forth. The fact pattern in all of these things is identical, right? It's the same story every three years. People are misusing tools to hide money, in some cases, money illicitly earned, in other cases for tax evasion, either U.S. citizens or foreign citizens, and every once in a while, all of them get outed. And so this isn't new. There is nothing new about the Pandora Papers other than perhaps the names of the individuals who've been exposed. This one in particular seems to have heavily targeted politicians who are going to have a hard time explaining to their country, their tax authority, and their voters how they got that money. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, the mistakes that have been made here, the failure 
And the criminality is the same exact story we've seen before. Yeah, well, greed is a wonderful thing. I mean, it makes us do stupid stuff. (laughs) So, you know, one of the things that I want to get really boring for a second, just I don't want to talk too much boring, but we got to talk a little bit, okay? When we talk about privacy for South Dakota, and South Dakota is not the only one, but when we talk about privacy, this is what I think you mean. And if correct me if I'm wrong, okay? If I want to find out who the owners, we call them the, the members of a limited liability company are, and I simply, for Arizona, I go to the Arizona Corporation Commission and I put in Ike Devsey. And any point when Ike Debsey has a, a membership interest in a limited liability company that is significant enough to pop, Ike will pop inside the Corporation Commission search, right? Well, that's not true necessarily in South Dakota, right? If Ike Debsey has a, a uh, LLC, he, he might have more protection, more privacy. So his name doesn't pop in the public records. That is exactly correct. And that could be South Dakota. It could be New Mexico, Wyoming, Delaware. Uh, All of these states have significant privacy in, in what is required to be publicly disclosed when you register an entity. That doesn't mean that these people don't have tax ID numbers, that they aren't paying their taxes, that the, that the funds that are going into these accounts or the business that's being conducted through those private LLCs uh, isn't legitimate. In some cases, we use private LLCs that are registered in one of those states that, are, that offers privacy. Um, we'll set up an LLC to be owned by a trust so that we can go out and buy a home for an individual who might be high net worth, who might be high profile, who might have security, personal security concerns, who might just not want everybody to know that they have a home in a certain place for for any reason. And we have a right to do that. And it's perfectly legal and ethical to do so. So maybe I have a, a celebrity or an athlete or an entertainer that wants to buy a house in a certain place, and they don't want the seller to know who the buyer is because then you get rich guy inflation. Right. It is much harder to negotiate when the person on the other side of the table can put your name in and say, oh, wait a minute, this guy's a billionaire. No, we're we're not going to negotiate with him. In fact, let's raise the price as one example. Right. Um, And that's an extreme example. But maybe I'm a professional athlete that just wants to be left alone and I'm buying a house in Paradise Valley for the offseason. And I don't want everybody to know that I bought it. Right. And you and I both know that, for instance, here in Arizona, every home sale in excess of three hundred and ninety nine thousand dollars is recorded in the Phoenix Business Journal and reported publicly. And it says Dr. and Mrs. Jones bought this house at this address for three and a half million dollars. It's ten thousand square feet. Maybe he doesn't want that out there. And that's his right. And it's completely legitimate. So lots of good reasons to use privacy. Yeah. And and I wanted to talk about that. I mean, these these aren't far-fetched examples. I mean, we had someone that we we, uh, that had that exact situation come through the office that's coming to my mind. And uh, this person had a stalker. 
and they wanted to buy a new house. And it was a house about $399, which is real easy to, to hit in Phoenix area. And, um, you know, that's a, this was not a celebrity. This was someone who had a stalker and multiple stalkers because of the particular career the person was in. She was a doctor and she was a psychiatrist. Well, do we think there she's going to come across some crises? All the time. It, that's a problem for a lot of people. Privacy is really important. Okay. One of the things you talked about when you were talking about Panama Papers and all the other events that were very similar to the Panama Papers we discussed is that they failed. They failed on asset protection. If, they, if their goal was, was privacy and, a, and asset protection, they failed. What do you mean by that? Well, Bob, it's a failure on multiple levels, right? So let's start with the last thing you mentioned, which was privacy or secrecy. And we've, we've discussed which one of those actually exists and which one is a fairy tale. So doing something in an illegitimate way that you thought would keep it, quote unquote, secret, actually put you in a position where now you've been exposed in 80 countries and this, this paperwork and this reporting is everywhere. So it did the opposite of what you might hoped it would do by doing it in an illegitimate way. Um, secondly, as I said, it, it drew negative international attention to something that for some of these people was otherwise private and completely legitimate and legal. Secondly, for those who had these accounts in their own names, uh, or in names of legal entities like LLCs that they own and control, it fails as asset protection. Because we have to remember, even if you're an American with an offshore account, if that account is in your own name and under your control, the judge in the United States still has jurisdiction over you personally. And that judge will simply say, hey, Bob, I heard you've got a big bank account in Panama. It's in your own name. Why don't you go ahead and repatriate those funds and pay this judgment? Right. So if the court has jurisdiction over the owner and can reach the funds through the owner because of the way they're holding title, it fails as asset protection. So your secrecy play failed. You maybe turned something good into something criminal, and you're doing it in a way that didn't even actually provide the asset protection that you may have been after when you did this because of the way you were holding it. So I think that's, you know, that that's a bundle of failures. And we see that repeated when people work with unscrupulous advisors who don't follow the law, who work with banks that are willing to bend the law, lawyers who are willing to bend the law, and, and, and there are a lot of those folks out there, and a lot of them don't have any professional liability like you and I do, right? right? If we set something like this up, we have a fiduciary duty, we have professional liability, we have malpractice insurance, we have all of these different things. We have a license that we need to protect to mm -hmm. practice law. But if you're some guy with a website who advertises on AM talk radio and gives people wild promises about how your magic bag of beans trust is going to be tax free and secret, unfortunately, there's a group of people out there that are going to believe it because they want to. That's so true. The magic bag of beans trust. I can't. 
I can't tell you how many times I've heard, I got this trust and no. Yeah. So there's a right way to do it, right, Ike? Absolutely. Tell me about it. It's actually much simpler than people think. So number one, use a highly experienced attorney for the to set up the holding structures that you want to hold your offshore account. It shouldn't be in your own name. And that attorney can advise you not only on the drafting of the trust, which is, of course, vital, right? What the trust says in its language and what it can and can't do and what the trustees' roles and duties are and if the distributions uh, from the trust to the beneficiaries are mandatory or discretionary, like all of that detail, all the fine print that we're not going to get into today, of course, is vital. The attorney who are setting this up for you also needs to advise you on where it should be set up, which jurisdiction you should use for the bank, which jurisdiction you should use for the trust company or the trustee itself. Those are often not the same thing. So for instance, we might use an island jurisdiction for the jurisdiction of the trust and where the trustee sits, but the bank itself might be a first, you know, first world European state owned and insured bank that's hundreds of years old because we want that financial solvency and predictability. And we Mm -hmm. want a certain level of investment sophistication and service from that bank. So we may, those, those two things where the trust is and where the money is often not the same place. The people you're working with need to be able to advise you and your other advisors, including your CPA on how to be 100% compliant with all U.S. tax reporting obligations. Um, and, you know, as I said, if we have the right people during the right trust in the right jurisdiction and making all of the compliance come true the way it should, we have no problem. I, if I need to get a hold of you because I have questions, how would I do that? Uh, there are a couple of ways. The one easy way where we also have a lot of information and a couple hundred articles that I've written over the last almost 20 years is uh, to go to proassetprotection.com, which is my website. Uh, and that has a great deal of information on asset protection, on trusts, offshore planning. Uh, many of the, the issues we discussed are covered there. And again, that's proassetprotection.com. Again, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Bob. Folks, thank you for listening. This has been the podcast, Is That Even Legal? A discussion of what's legal. Just as a reminder, this is not legal advice for you. This is general information. It's meant to be educational. If you have specific legal needs... Don't be afraid to reach out to an attorney to get good legal advice. Attorneys are lovable. They're fun. They want to hear from you. See you next time.